Countless women are alive today because of ideas stimulated by a design flaw in the Hubble Space Telescope. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby, Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was once lucky enough, Matt, to Mm. be in a poll of the best space podcasts, only with the Interplanetary Podcast. I think that's happened on several occasions, Jamie. I mean... (sighs) Come uh, on. I'm, I'm almost catching up with Niels deGrasse Tyson with my uh, Flat Earth video, Jamie. It's in the millions now. Come on. What are we up to? Is it two million? <laughs> Around about there, I reckon. Which is probably sort of Neil's weekly blooming figures. But hey. And you know what's strange, Matt? It seems like there's still people who believe the world is flat. yeah it's almost like you haven't changed anyone's minds oh yeah but looking at the comments the flat earthers are very very few and far between yeah they are few i got one um that somebody called you a fool didn't they and i I called them out on it. I replied and said, would you debate that? Would you come on the podcast? And I like the way you scrolled they, they, through all the comments to find... You, yeah, you were, just, did, you were was, just trying to find ones that were being nasty to me so you could be... I was feeling very them to me, <laughs> and, I, and I shouldn't ever have done this because it's just pointless. But I, I thought, I'm just going to call him out because he was annoying me. And I went onto his Instagram page and he had a, a NASA T-shirt that said lies on it when he was sculpting his body in the gym. Oh, yes. So I thought... Yeah, so I said, do you want to come on the podcast? And and uh, I told him what our podcast was and what we'd done. And uh, and weirdly, Matt, no reply since. Mm. Yeah, okay. Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange. But um, well done, Matt. Still very proud of you. Um, Matt, Hubble Telescope, yeah. where, where do we begin? Well, well, I'll tell you what, today, Jamie, on the release of this podcast, it is the 30th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope. But I think we need to explain the quote, because I was looking at that quote going, what on earth does he mean? Mm. It must be to do with the spectacles that they made for the Hubble Telescope. No. No, but get this. So during the three years after Hubble had been launched, astrophysicists had written loads and loads of software, image processing software, which I suspect has found its way into programs like PixInsight for all those astrophotographers out there. Big time. It allowed them to resolve stars from these blurry fields. And uh, obviously some people at hospitals thought to themselves, I wonder if we can use the same software to help us look at uh, scans. And so, yeah, these people at the Georgetown University Medical Center in Washington Uh, teamed up with some of the Hubble scientists to improve their searches for tumours in mammograms. What? That's incredible. So therefore, that quote by Neil Tyson about women who are alive today because of ideas stimulated by the design flaw in the Hubble Space Telescope. It's not the only little thing that went wrong that you're going to see in today's episode, Jamie, that leads to a discovery. That is incredible. It's about time we had some good news. 
Yeah, so well done, Hubble. Uh, Jamie, do you want do you want a fact rundown on the Hubble Bef- oh, before we go? Yeah. Before we go into our spirit special, because we got a great guest today, Stimpson Sneed. Ah, Stimpson. Stimpson was so great. We had a lovely chat with him uh, about a week or so ago, didn't we? Mm. And it's because he has a film out called yeah. Spirit. A Martian Story, which is available on the Aldrin Foundation. It's based on the uh, XKCD comic strip, and it's so good. It's really cute and lovely and informative. I'll tell you what, get yourself get yourself down and, and check it out. Where, where can we put the link, Matt? Where can we show it, people it will, where this is? It will be on the blog of the episode, but it, there it, we if go. you go to the Aldrin Foundation... You'll see Spirit and Martian Story up there. It's a great little piece of work, isn't it? If you like things like Warly or those, you know, those really great little yeah. you know, spacey cartoons, it's very similar. Disney to that. Pixar, it's, it's, it's great. Made, made you I'll cry, you what, didn't it, get, Jamie? It, it put a tear in my eye. So get your kids if you've got them, you know, or nieces and nephews, make sure that they're watching it. Because uh, I think they'll enjoy it. It's great for, uh, yes, it's great for COVID lockdown. But so, yes, before, so I decided to have a spirit special to talk about spirit and all the wonderful work she did on the planet surface. But before we do that, actually, Jamie, how ace was the patron that wrote this? I'm going to read it out because I think this is one of, this is one of my, my proudest moments. Uh, This is from Marissa, a new patron. She says, hi guys, I've been listening to your podcast for over two years and it's inspired a career change. I've decided I'm going to move from being an accountant and follow my passion. And now I'm doing a degree, an OU astronomy and planetary science degree. Thank you for making me laugh each week and inspiring me to dare to dream. Much love, Marissa. Marissa, we absolutely love you. Thank you very much. That made my day. That's incredible. Marissa, you're a hero. You will not regret this, I promise. And if you do, then it wasn't us. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, Hubble Space Telescope, which, of course, uh, I should imagine Marissa will be um, studying quite a bit, launched 30 years ago today, 24th of April, 1990. On- Matt, should we should we do uh, a fact by fact little yeah. stat rundown? Absolutely, launched on STS thirty okay. one. Go. Nineteen eighty six was the planned launch, but the Challenger accident paid an end to that. Yes, and do you know what? After that, it cost six million dollars a month just to store the telescope because it has to be put in a clean room, yeah, powered up, room. purged with nitrogen. And so, yes, they were desperate to get this thing up into space. Weren't you once purged with nitrogen? I've been purged with nitrogen several times, Jamie. Matt, the original cost estimate of about $400 million, um, but the telescope cost about $4.7 billion by the time of its launch. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is an, that is an overspend. Yeah, and, and it, I think wow. it's up to about $10 billion. And counting. So, obviously, the very first thing that happened when it got to space was that the mirror had not been ground properly. So, even though it was the most precise mirror ever made, it turned out that it hadn't been done properly. And the test equipment that would use to actually measure it 
They just relied on one piece of equipment that had been assembled wrong. And although other bits of equipment were showing the fault, they just assumed, well, this one's the uh, more precise one, so we'll just go with that. Well, Matt, Kodak, it turns out, had a backup on the ground, but this was impossible to use in space. So they went for spectacles. Yeah, so they yeah they used spectacles to basically send up new equipment that had the spectacles built in or put spectacles in front so that it corrected for this error which basically just meant everything was blurry and as we said they in the meantime they they did develop software to kind of make it reasonably useful um yeah so these spectacles were called costar the corrected optic space telescope axial replacement but it's no longer required because the instruments that have since been flown up for Hubble have it built in. And you can go and see CoStar at the National Air and Space Museum. That is absolutely incredible. So five times shuttle servicing missions. Um, very good, Matt, at boosting public confidence in NASA, of course. Well, yeah, because NASA was going through a pretty rough patch at the it time. It was. And those service missions were so successful, it was insane, particularly when the first pictures from Hubble started coming back and everyone realised this is going to be one of the greatest outreach pieces of equipment of all time, the fact that you get these just unbelievable pictures of the universe, that we, the likes of which we'd never really seen before. So, what? On a, yeah. so yes, the final mission, the, final, the fifth mission of those uh, servicing missions was actually cancelled because of Columbia breaking up. And um, and it was just deemed too dangerous to do that mission because you can only go either to the Hubble Space Telescope or to the ISS. The shuttle just wasn't capable of flying from both to the other. So if something was wrong with the shuttle, you would be absolutely doomed if your mission was to the Hubble Space Telescope because there'd be no uh, lifeboat, as it were, at the International Space Station. So... The mission, however, was reinstated, and uh -huh. uh, they managed to do it in 2009 because they were desperate to get this to work because they didn't think that there'd be a replacement, that James Webb's space telescope wasn't due to go up till 2011, which is... What? Uh, I know. He's nuts. Uh, but, of course... James Webb has not gone up, even though it's 2020, Jamie. Um, so, Well, let me tell you, the final servicing mission did such a good job, Matthew, mm -hmm. uh, that Hubble is still fully functional 11 years later. I know, that is actually incredible, isn't it? What an amazing job those astronauts did. All the greats, some of the greats, Massimino, Foll, all those sort of people yep. involved in that. Amazing. Incredible. So, yeah, it, it Hubble now, because because uh, you can't go up and boost its orbit, will eventually decay into the atmosphere to, to burn up, which will be around about 2028. Well, between 2028 and 2040, and that all depends on sun activity and, and the way that the atmosphere works. But there's some hope, isn't there, Jamie? Yeah, so the Trump administration is considering a proposal by the Sierra Nevada Corporation to use a crude version of its Dream Chaser Dream spacecraft, Weaver, Weaver. which you love, uh, to service Hubble. 
Yeah. Uh, sometime in the 2020s. Matt, you see what they did there? 2020? Yeah, 2020 vision. Oh, yeah. Both as a continuation of its scientific capabilities and as insurance against any malfunctions in the uh-uh-oh-to-be-launched uh, James Webb Space Telescope. Do you think that's going to happen? I, I can't believe that there's going to be a crew uh, version of Dream Chaser, but, you know, we live in hope. We always live in hope. That's the great thing about us, Matt, isn't it? We're very half glass full. Yeah. Do you know what? Half a telescope full. Jamie, I think this week we should post our favourite pictures of Hubble all week on Instagram. I think we should definitely do that. Th- those coffee table style books, Hubble books, are just the best where you can just sit so and just good. look at the majesty of the universe. Matt, talking about the majesty of the universe, last night mm-hmm. I went outside, I laid a rug um, in the garden. Mm-hmm. I pointed my feet east mm-hmm. and then I went and looked at some shooting. I saw five shooting stars and I saw the space station. You saw the space station. You sure it wasn't yeah. you sure it wasn't a Starlink? I'm pretty sure it was the space station. I don't, I'm not sure it was. I think it was I think it was probably a very large another large satellite. I didn't I don't Well, think... I saw several satellites, but this one was massive and super bright. You probably saw Starlink cuz Starlink's been going over the UK recently. I took a few photos myself of Starlink. Oh, maybe I yeah. did. So I think you probably but yeah, did. Yeah, five shoot five shooting stars, Matt. Yeah, I stood on the I stood on my roof and watched yeah, a couple of nights ago, watched the train of Starlinks going across. I thought it was they were going to be closer together, but you had to sort of they were sort of very spaced apart at this point. So it was a little bit of a damp squib. But there we go. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, it's not often clear skies um in the UK, is it? Let's be honest. And it was absolutely gorgeous. Yes. So I know we've been celebrating Hubble, but there's one sad one that we have to uh, also mention. Go on. Vladimir Komarov was the first person to die on a space mission in 1967 on this day. Mm. So just think Soyuz 1 back in 67 and they're still using the thing. Rest in peace, uh, cosmonaut Vladimir uh, thank you for your service. For your trailblazing. So, Jamie, let's let's talk about uh, Spirit. Let's do it. Spirit Special. Can we have a jingle? Spirit Special. It's the spirit of spirit. Spirit Special. It's the specialist spirit of the sky. All through the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is uh, downloadable as a ringtone. There's a chap called Pete Theisinger. Oh, yeah. And he graduated... From Caltech in 1967 and joined the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Glory. And he'd go on to work for missions such as the 1967 Mariner mission to Venus, the 1971 Mariner Orbiter mission to Mars, the 1977 Voyager missions, the 1989 Galileo mission to Jupiter. But by 2000, he was the project manager of one of the best ever space missions mars exploration rover mer and and no one had built rovers like these before and they didn't really have much time to do it so their names spirit and opportunity combined cost matthew Mm -hmm. of about 850 million dollars to develop uh, launch and operate, and are the identical rovers, each weighing in at about 400 pounds. Nice. 
Spirit was the second one built, wasn't it? Yeah. But the first MER to launch and land. Exactly. Which which does lead to a bit of a naming confusion. So Spirit is called MERA, but it's also called MER2, whereas Opportunity yeah. is called MERB, but often called MER1. So if you ever see that and go, what the heck is going on? It's, I think the... it's because one was built first and then the other was launched first. So built yeah. is the number... Launch is the letter. M-E-R-A, I think. But there we go. So the, the names came from a Lego competition. So Lego actually ran the competition for the name, Spirit and Opportunity. 10,000 entries for that one. So very similar to the recent uh, Perseverance uh-huh. uh, one. Uh, and also they sent little mini DVDs on board with the names of mil- 4 million people. That went to the two different God, locations on so Mars. So old fashioned so, DVDs, aren't d- they streaming yet? Yeah. So I bet. So now that yeah, they've got little uh, streaming platforms on there. No, that little yeah, DVDs yeah. carrying everyone's names. Yeah. Imagine having to try and read DVDs in the future. How hard that will be. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so anyway, yes, the launch June the tenth, two thousand and three, on a Delta two. On, oh. You know specifically that's the Delta Two Seven Nine Two Five Oblique Nine Point Five. Uh, I thought it was going to be point four, but yeah, yeah. yeah the, thinking about it, it was the point five. It yeah. was a slightly different rocket for the uh, opportunity because that had to have a heavier version of the launch because it was on a slightly different trajectory, so needed uh, a bit more power to get to mm. Mars and to the to the place where it was going. Um, yeah, so they, they they were launched together, as in they were on pads right next to each other. Uh, they were uh, July the seventh was Opportunity's launch, and June the tenth was Spirit's. So off she went. Uh, Spirit landed on January the fourth, two thousand and four, a date I remember very well. She landed in an area called Gusef Crater. Ooh, ooh. Now, originally, Spirit was supposed to last 90 souls, which is the equivalent of a day on Earth, almost exactly mm-hmm. the same length as a day on Earth, but it's a day on Mars, or a nightingale, as they're sometimes known. Uh, so, yes, oh, plan- really? I didn't yeah. know that. Well, it's yeah, I, I read that on, on, um, on one of the people involved in the mission, kept calling them nightingales, but I thought that's oh, really wow. nice. Um, I like that. Yes, so 90 days. They were designed for, and as you'll see, Spirit didn't last as long as Opportunity. But oh my God, no. they, she certainly smashed it out of the park when it came to longevity. So, uh, Gusef is a crater on Mars, and the reason why it was chosen is because it looked like it was an old lake, a lake bed, and it's about 166 kilometers in diameter. And formed about three to four billion years ago. And that is incredible. So named after Russian astronomer, I assume, Matvey Gusev. That's correct. And he used to work at the Vilnius Observatory, another of my favourite observatories on oh, Earth. You've that I've been, been, that I've been. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's also a potential landing site for Perseverance. Although I, I think that's probably out the window now. 
The airbag landing is quite an amazing. They really were pushing it at this point. These rovers mm. were big and heavy, so they they had to be stripped back a little bit for the airbag thing to still work. The landing site itself is known as the Columbia Memorial Station, named after obviously the Columbia disaster. Yes. As almost immediately after landing, Spirit just rolled off the lander and took a panoramic picture. Boom, straight in. Which is the highest resolution image taken on the surface of another planet at that point. The images from Spirit and Opportunity are incredible, like incredible. Mm, like that, really that, are. Again, like Hubble, I think they've done so much for the advocacy of space and getting people enthusiastic about space. It's like you're there on Mars with those pictures. They're just incredible. So really is. One of the features, Sleepy Hollow, a nine-meter across shallow crater, was about 12 meters north of the lander, and targeted as the first destination. So Spirit heads off to Sleepy Hollow. But Here we go. Uh-oh. Sol 17 disaster strikes. Oh, God. I mean, this must have been terrifying for the people working on it. Remember, they've spent a few hundred million dollars, $400 million or thereabouts. It's like... Uh-huh. Uh-oh, Spirit has stopped communicating with Mission Control. And it's like, uh-oh, yes. this, this is a nightmare. So they're able to send certain messages and say, Spirit, are you okay? And Spirit comes back with a little beep and, and, gar- yeah. and basically garbage. There is a major software glitch here because mm. um, Spirit was just ignoring commands and not going to sleep like it was told. And this is potentially dangerous. Like a toddler. Like a toddler. Spirit had become a little toddler. And uh, it was risking overheating, which little toddlers do as well when they're in their little big strop. And that Mm. uses up batteries and is potentially fatal, basically. So in walks a Miami-born legend john adler now he is part Uh of yes he is part of the software team he also went to caltech but he has a phd this dude and and he's pretty famous in data compression circles because he wrote things like gzip zlib and was also part of the png um which is you know most images on the net these days use png big up the pingers so yes he is a major software dude um and this is what he said he said the spirit had insomnia fever he was weakening all the time muttering incoherently and for time did not obey the commands notice he calls him he which is unusual Uh, you know as we'll hear in in the interview she was the normal thing uh so he sent a command to turn off uh the uh, spirit rover and that that command is called Shut down, damn it, until. <laughs> so a lot of the commands apparently laced with uh, humor throughout. So shut down. I like it. Shut Few down. Underscores yeah. In there. Shut down, damn it. Shut down, damn it, till is one of the commands. So uh, unfortunately, Spirit didn't shut down and kept going, oh, I'm still here. Uh, and what had happened is the computer was stuck in a reset loop. So every time there's oh. a software problem, the rover was designed to just reboot. So instead of like, uh, have you tried switching it off and on again? The rover just did that automatically every time it had a little bit Mm. of a problem. Um, 
But if the same problem comes up every time during reboot, then it keeps rebooting. And so it just keeps rebooting and rebooting and rebooting. So Spirit mm. had rebooted itself 60 times in two days, <laughs> oh dear. which, as we know, is probably not that great. But mm. developers had stuck this little back door in, which was that meant that Adler was able to send some commands to say, look, next time you boot up, don't look at your flash storage device. And so ah, Spirit okay. boots up without looking at the flash storage. So whatever dodgy information was on there, uh, she was able to boot up properly. And uh, they managed to get her working again, which was pretty cool. And this, of course, all the time this is happening, opportunity is landing as well. So JPL are super busy. Uh, mm. But by Sol32, the uh, flash memory had been reformatted and they'd got Spirit up and working totally normally again. Could you imagine the pressure as well, considering the money spent? Oh man, but to get this thing back up and working. Here's a really, here's a really beautiful bit as well. So they managed to get some of the data off the flash memory that had been mm. taken before the crash, before the software crash. And one of those is of the rock abrasion tool, the RAT, a very mm. important instrument, and it has a little protective casing over the RAT, and that has a little USB flag painted on it and one of the reasons why it's got a little us flag painted on the protective casing is the protective casing is made from the remains of the twin towers 9-11 oh wow i didn't know that and so when they pulled this um when they pulled this picture off they put it on the big monitor and they all had a little moment while playing the national anthem so good on them good on them that's an emotional time in mission control so it really is. do you want to hear about uh, spirit grinding on mars i know you like oh, a good yes please grinding story spirit who doesn't <laughs> started using her rat <laughs> to grind the rock called a dirondack a dirondack okay a dirondack now a dirondack i looked this up is a mohawky slang term meaning they eat trees which is basically a okay. slur on other tribes that used to eat oh. that used to eat trees when they got hungry, and these tribes are based in the Adirondack Mountains near New York. I'm bound to have said this wrong, and we'll get a, a load of um, emails. I'm sure, we will. The Adirondack Mountains, New York. I reckon that's about right. What do you reckon? That's good. Yeah, yeah, solid. Um, so next up for a bit of grinding was uh, Humphrey. He got he got ground. And uh -huh. uh, what's interesting here is that Adirondack was was um, shown to be sort of volcanic, a volcanic basalt. Now, oh. that's not what they were expecting. They'd landed in a crater that they thought was an ex-lake, so they were expecting rocks to be more like lake bed rocks, but this was much more like it, sort of a volcanic um, basin kind of thing. So... That was wow. a surprise, in actual fact. Uh, uh, Humphrey Rock, however, did show s some more signs of water that had been in there, trickling through the uh -huh. volcanic rock. Um, so it's likely that both rovers landed in reg regions that were underwater at some point in the mm. Martian history. And, of course, this is the major scientific discovery of the mission. 
So on to Bonneville Crater. You sure it's pronounced Bonneville? Well, what do you think it's pronounced? <laughs> Bonneville. Maybe it is Bonneville. Who knows? Uh, right in. Do you live in Bonneville? Uh, so she went round. In fact, I tell you what. We, we should have a quick name. Oh, we should have a quick word on the naming conventions here because mm. um, one of the questions that Stimson asked me was, uh, "Could if his film was really good, might he end up with the you know getting a name check on Mars?" Well, oh, so here's, we hope so. Here's the naming conventions for Mars. So large craters are named after deceased scientists who uh, contribute to the study of Mars, right? Right. Or writers and others who have contributed to the lore of Mars. So there's a, maybe a, a window of opportunity there. Small craters are villages of the world with a population less than 100,000. Mm -hmm. Large valleys are named after old names for Mars in various different languages. Small okay. valleys are the uh, names or classical or modern names of rivers on Earth. Oh. And other features are normally named after the features that Schiaparelli or Antoniadi uh, named them on their maps. Gotcha. So not very likely... But if you're a filmmaker, you might get a crater on Mercury because they're that is artists and filmmakers and stuff do get craters named after them on Mercury. So oh, really? if, okay. if you're a filmmaker and you want a crater named after you, probably best to make a little film about Mercury instead. So maybe, There we go, Stimson. That's the next project. Yeah, there we go. So maybe make one about Bepi Colombo. Uh, yes. Um, uh, so the Spirit Team actually named the Columbia Hills Complex which doesn't seem to be following the uh, rules here, but uh, the peaks of Columbia Hills are named after the astronauts on Columbia. So Anderson Brown, ah, Chawla, okay. Clark, Husband, McCool and Ramon. Both Ramon and Chawla have made it as Astronaut of the Week on the podcast, of course. Incredible. Amazing. Two of my favourites. And McCool has to have the best name ever. Oh, my astronaut. God. Mc come on. McCool. Yeah. Come on. So Spirit made its way to the Columbia Hills, to the West Spur, the first target, Hanks Hollow, for a 23-soul oh, yes. stay. Uh -huh. And within Hanks Hollow was a strange-looking rock called the Pot of Gold. Cool. And analysing that, um, it contains hematite which, is, of course, is a rock associated with water. More and more yes. evidence building up. But Spirit had to have uh, total shutdowns now at night to, to try and preserve power because it was heading into wintertime. And wintertime was really deadly for these rovers. In fact, they weren't really designed to survive the winters. No. But uh, they had some really good luck, actually, one of the things that, that was obviously a restraining factor was the solar arrays would get dust building up on them. And so the electrical dust. power would, would slowly go down. Uh, but one of the great things that happened was that uh, dust devils would come along and clean the dust off the solar arrays. And not only that, they would do clever little tricks like drive up the north slopes of hills 
so that the panels were pointing directly at the sun. And with those two sort of brilliant kind of things, they were able to to uh, make the rovers last a lot longer and do loads more science. I've said it before, Matt. Humans are really great. Yeah, we really. Are. I'll, I'll say it again. Yeah. No, absolutely. Now, now, they, uh, Spirit had gone on to a place called Woolly Patch. Now, Woolly Patch. This is now Sol One Nine Two. So it's it's already lasted twice as long as it was planned to. Drove southwards up a hill and arrived at a rock called Clovis, and that was ground up. Ah. Uh-huh. After Clovis was Ebenezer, Teti, Uchben, Palinke, and Lutfisk. All quite nice, quite cool named rocks, right? Uh, and then Spirit had to power down for solar conjunction. So often there's these times, of course, where Mars is on the other side of the sun, many, many, many hundreds of millions of miles away, out of communication. Yes. But by Sol 344, can you believe this? We're going, we we're go. going, uh, Spirit made its way around the sub- summit of Husband Hill and started over Cumberland Ridge into Larry's Lookout. Now we're talking. Named after the geologist, Larry Crumpler. It's another great name. (laughs) And then into the Tennessee Valley. And it's during 2004 that Spirit took the first photo of Earth from the surface of another planet. Oh, come on. (laughs) So how did... I mean, what a snap. I mean, that's genius. So how did Spirit talk to Earth? Jamie, being it so far away. Well, usually done with the NASA orbiters, Mars Odyssey, and your favourite map, Mars Global Surveyor. The GS. Spirit also did some communication tests with uh, the ESA orbiter Mars Express. Oh, that is pretty cool, isn't it? That, uh, that, Which is cool, isn't it? Yeah, that is cool that there was cross-agency cooperation there. Um, Big time. Yeah, so uh, yeah, year, year two, Husband Hill was an absolute nightmare, really slippy. So Mm. they had to upload new software to help Spirit drive a little bit more autonomously. So Spirit could, instead of slipping around and waiting for engineers to to try and sort it out, um, Spirit could sort itself out. And uh, by 371, Spirit was at peace. And I don't mean that she died, but that she'd got to the rock peace, the peace rock. And uh, did a bit of grinding with her rat on Sol 373. Uh, so I can't imagine that was particularly peaceful on the surface of Mars, Jamie. Definitely no. not. Definitely not. And then on to Larry's lookout. And, but, the, but the samples that were taken there were really salty. And Stephen Squires, who appears in this film, uh, yes. said, with this much salt around, what a had to have a hand here. So, by the way, Matt. Yeah. How much of a legend is Stephen Squires? Oh my God, they're all legends. All these people that are involved really are, are, aren't are they? all legends. I mean, I know we say it all the time, but we're just surrounded by them. I tell you what, when you start looking at anybody involved in space missions and then read about their background, that it is just that mm. they, they do so much. It's just incredible. Oh Hell yeah! So Sol Four One Nine is. The greatest power wash of all time. So here we go. Uh, so it, the solar panels they noticed jump from sixty percent to ninety-two percent efficiency. 
Whoa. And what and but at the same time, Spirit was taking amazing footage of Dust Devils. Another first. So the the video footage that uh, Spirit takes of Dust Devils are incredible. You have to mm. see them. And one of those Dust Devils had obviously gone over the back of uh, Spirit and and blown away all the sand. That's so good, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It was meant to be. Spirit had become the first ever human machine to climb a mountain on another planet by getting to the top of Husband Hill. Big time. And you can see the panorama that she took, uh, which includes Gusev Crater, um, online. Amazing uh, so picture. Good. Uh, but also during that period, um, Spirit observed Phobos and Deimos, the, the two moons of Mars, in, in, ah, to try and determine, uh, determine their orbits better. So doing a bit mm. of science. Um Surveyed the Mars sky and looked at the um, how thick and and clear the atmosphere was, and that was uh, mm -hmm. part of a coordinated uh, science campaign with Hubble Space Telescope. And also during this period, Spirit spotted Home Plate, which was a home a striking plate. rock formation. Now there we go. Home Plate. We have got a great little video of home plate um, where there's been a bit of a misunderstanding. So we've got an exclusive blooper video um, hmm. on our, which I'll put on our, um, in the blog of home plate being about the size of a home plate uh, rather than a vast plateau outcrop that it actually was. So they cut that from the film because yes. obviously it's scientifically in inaccurate, but Stimson liked it so much because it is cute. Uh, that he's given us the rushes, and so it's exclusive on our on our website. How cool is that? Oh wow, so cool! Uh, um, so yes, year three now though, Jamie. Um, okay. Uh, the wheel had front wheel had stopped working altogether. Now the, the brush motors oh. had always been a concern. Uh, so Thysinger had gone with brushless motors when he came to uh, helping out with Curiosity, but the brush motors had actually outperformed massively the expectations so but one mm. of the wheels had, had, had broken and uh, so now spirit was left driving backwards dragging its front wheel behind it oh bless it limping but as we'll see a bit like the hubble blurriness this actually led to a discovery so uh, yes okay. home plate was reached on sol 744 in february 2006 at this point spirit was using her arm a lot more to do science so instead of driving to rocks like looking like using her arm to reach out and and look at things lying around her so that they didn't have to dry yes. her so much uh year four they uploaded new software that made the rovers more intelligent and so, uh -huh. so that they could drive around automatically recognizing things that they wanted to take picture of and they would automatically send back pictures of dust devils and things like that but they would also navigate on their own and think several steps ahead when it came to things like obstacles. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and also they would decide whether to sample rocks on their own. So this would free up the scientists massively instead of them wading through millions and millions of photos, well, thousands of photographs deciding what they wanted to do. The rovers started to think for themselves, so they became immeasurably more intelligent by Sol 1067. 
But wow. it, let's back to the dead wheel, Jamie. So the dead wheel had been dragged behind, but it was like a plow. So it had been plowing the soil behind. So when Spirit looked behind her, she could see that she'd revealed this silica-rich dust beneath the topsoil. Oh, wow. So, so those photos are incredible, like these kind of um, literally like plowed fields. And it's like this white, white silica dust. That would never have been thought yeah. about, probably. And there's only two ways that this type of material can be made, and that's hot springs or acidic steam coming through the cracks. Now, either of those features on Earth are absolutely teeming with bacterial life. I was going to say, So yeah. that, that is like a, a real, you know, classic find. And it's because of a broken wheel. Um, Incredible. And... Uh, in the same year, we have a classic bit of paradolia, which of course is where you see uh-huh. where you see Jesus in toast and stuff like that, where you see faces. That's right. So there was a panorama that had been taken on one thousand on Sol one thousand three hundred and sixty six on about November two thousand and seven, and that's on the eastern edge of Home Plate. And NASA published it in two thousand and eight, a few months later. Uh, and there wasn't much fanfare, but someone spotted this tiny human-like figure in the picture. Looks like he's got his arm raised, like a sort of mini Bigfoot. <laughs> okay. And of course, that picture went viral, absolutely massively. Of so it's one of the, it's one of the most, I guess it's one of the most shared spirit photos there are, which is a bit annoying. Like being yeah. like taking panoramas on another planet isn't good enough. But if there's a if there's something that might look a little bit like Bigfoot, it's suddenly news. God right. damn it! Damn it! Uh, but now is the time of the dust storms. June two thousand and seven uh, started blocking ninety nine percent of the light down to the rovers' uh, panels, and so they had to be really, really careful and just put the rovers, both rovers, into hibernation. So NASA had all their mm. fingers, toes, legs, etc. crossed. Year four, they'd parked um, Spirit at a thirty-degree angle on on a on home plate. Um, That's right. But she was getting very close to running out of power, but still mm. managed to take a panorama of Bonnestel. No. Bonnestel is one of the greatest ah. um, space artists, Chesley Bonnestel. Chelsea. Chesley. Chesley. Yeah, ah, Chesley okay. Bonnestel. Funny, I've got a student called Chesley. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's named after the great... Uh, Shout out. Yeah. In November, this just keeps on coming, dust storm after dust storm after dust storm. But they managed to get through them. Uh, and the uh, again... A few favourable winds kept blowing dust off the panels, and by year five, Spirit was up and driving again. But there we go. Actually, that might not have been such a good thing because driving <sighs> is the beginning of the end. She uh, Spirit managed yes. to drive into a sand trap, and by this point, another of her wheels had stopped working. And NASA based Sol eighteen ninety two. Yeah, wow, eighteen ninety two. So, so now one thousand eight hundred souls past the mission <laughs> date. Incredible <laughs> by the mission. So that is pretty cool. That's May two thousand and nine, and she was stuck in that sand trap till 
January 2010, by which point NASA went, okay, let's just call it a stationary research platform. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so by March 2010, poor old spirit was proper battered. There was yeah. less and less chance of cleaning events. Um, and she basically stopped communicating. And they're not quite sure why. It could have been a clock had stopped. But that was it. Now that was, that it. was it. And uh, JPL continued attempts, thinking that they might be able to get her started once the once the winter had cleared and maybe the batteries got recharged. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, Spirit has never had contact, um, and they gave up on May twenty fifth, two thousand and eleven. And that's she was she was home. She was home, and that's after 7.7 kilometres of driving. That's almost five miles. 128,224 pictures. But what's incredible, it's only really the rat had worn down a little bit. Everything else was working perfectly. All the instruments were working perfectly. The only thing that had changed slightly was the uh, spectrometer, which apparently because of the decay of its cobalt 57 gamma ray source, um, just took slightly longer to, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to get its results back. But apart from that, everything was still working. So all the scientific instruments and everything on that mission were just incredible. Absolutely. I mean, just mind-blowing. So please, uh, Matt, I think we should, uh, we should have the interview. Yes, absolutely. With our mate Stimson. Should we roll the tape? Hey, Kootay. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. We're joined on the podcast by Stimson Sneed, who is the director of a little animated film called Spirit, A Martian Story. Uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Well, yes, it's it's, it's afternoon here, but this is the the beauty of the of technology these days. <laughs> it's the golden age for night owls like me. Everyone used to make fun of us for having reverse hours. Now we are ruling the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, both Jamie and I, our jobs have been dealing with Americans, so we're we're used to staying up late. Very true. First of all, uh, Stimson, can you tell us a little bit of a background of Spirit, A Martian Story? Just tell us what it's all about. Well, Spirit, A Martian Story was based on a short little 10-panel webcomic by Randall Monroe, who does XKCD. And it was basically about the death and history of the Mars Spirit Rover, which to all of us space fans, we love Spirit and Opportunity. They are the most adorable rovers ever. Um when I saw this comic, I immediately wanted to expand it into a film. And so we did the, turned it into this 10, 12 minute piece, depending on the cut that then grabbed the interest of some professional folks in the science foundation. And now it's going to get to go to schools and stuff like that. But what it still always goes back to is that comic, just spirit with a voice and a name exploring Mars and doing her best to have a good time and just learn all she can about Mars with this mission that was only supposed to last 90 days, but ends up lasting four and a half years. How did you approach it? Did you look at this, this film and think I'm going to tell a story or actually just tell 
people about spirit. Which path were you trying to aim yourself down? Definitely the first one. I was already a massive science fanboy at the time that I first came across the comic, but this was one of the few... But in the sciences, sometimes science and science media and education can do kind of a bad job of getting into the emotional side of things and why it's not just interesting but inspirational. In tw- in 10 short illustrations by Randall Monroe, it's, it's hard not to get a tear going down the side of your face. It was just immediate and emotional and engaging. And that's always what the film wanted to do as well was make something that was about science, but was about making it something that is empathetic and emotional. And that's what the film tries to do. You certainly got me, because I watched it twice, and I was like, oh, this is sad. Uh, (laughs) But it's happy to, so don't worry, people. Um, So where did the technical advice come from? Was there a team that you were working with? Uh, technical advice now for the making of the film or technical advice for making sure our information was right? <laughs> Let's do both. Uh, technical advice of the film is actually very straightforward. It's a live-action short film with a cg main character, so it is animated only technically because the backgrounds are still real. But that was just basic Hollywood filmmaking, and we got to work with some very good people on it. Uh, the technical advice for the film for the actual science accuracy was a combination of sources. First, it started with me kind of putting together the basic outline of what I wanted the narrative to be. Then it was hunting through books of Steve Squires and others on the subject to make sure every event I found I could correlate to an actual soul in the course of her uh, journey. And then it was taking it through varying degrees of increasingly more informed people as we tighten down the process before finally going through share space and the Aldrin Foundation as our final step to make sure everything got the thumbs up. And thankfully, by the time it got to Steve Squires himself, who also got to be in it and watch the film and let me know if we did anything wrong, he didn't bring up anything that we could did wrong. So I feel like we did pretty good when we got it to Steve Squires' point without any major corrections. Was there any point in making this that you accidentally went down the wrong avenue as it were technically or on a, on a technical yes. point about mars spectacularly so oh just spectacularly <laughs> so there's there are two different kinds of wrong information i think for something like this there is something that is deliberately wrong and then there is something that is misleadingly wrong this story uh personifies spirit she's bouncy she talks She's bubbly. She's got a face that's very emotional and emotive. That's all deliberately wrong because it's meant to make this character feel human and empathetic. And it presumes that the audience, even the children audience, are smart enough to get that this isn't a literal depiction of what the rover looked like. That's the kind of wrong I'm okay with. (laughs) What I'm not okay with is when we just straight up get our facts wrong. And the most embarrassing one, which got through a couple levels of correction without people noticing this, is we misunderstood what Home Plate Rock was. Home Plate Rock is this massive plateau on Mars that spirit traveled all over. But the main photo that they always circulate of it is a view from space in which it does look a lot like a home plate. And I and several other people who I won't name, but me, but I'll take the blame for this one, 
thought I was looking at a photograph taken by Spirit herself of a rock approximately yay big on the ground in front of her. So we had this adorable little scene of her interacting with home plate rock and trying to figure out how she knows something about sports that had to be cut entirely because that that's the wrong kind of wrong. <laughs> so, what, so what at what point did you it's find It's a really cute scene by the way. It's a really <laughs> cute scene. I made a it's never going to be released but I made a point of keeping it just for myself on my desktop. So Ah. Oh. I almost feel like begging you to send it over, so I promise I won't show it to anyone else. (laughs) If you like, I'll send it over after the interview. I'll just render out a copy for it. But yeah, it's a cute little deleted scene. (laughs) Oh, that'd be beautiful. Yeah, does it come out in a physical format, or is it... uh... That's really up to the distributors at this point. Our first distributor is ShareSpace themselves, who are going to be using it for their own academic materials, putting in schools. And they're a great organization, which we can go into in a little bit. But they're the first group that's going to be using it, and they're probably going to keep it in a digital form, simply because they have over 300,000-plus students they get to work with. It's simply easier for them to send this out in email form that teachers can play in class. Other distributors that we might work with down the road might have a completely different model for that. But in terms of something like a DVD release, something like that, I would be very surprised if that were to happen. I imagine the closest we're going to get to a physical release is decorative thumb drives. When you were thinking of someone to be the voice, how did you choose Spirit to uh, to be female or male? or how did, Was there any kind of thought process behind that? The genderedness of Spirit was actually kind of a decision that was made for me. Because when you start following all the folks who worked on this project, who work at JPL and NASA, there is a distinct naming convention that they started at some point of referring to Spirit and Opportunity as sisters and she. And that was, who am I to argue the people who literally built the rovers? (laughs) So, in fact, there was... This was so commonly accepted in just the wider culture talking about this that there was a MySpace page back in the early 2000s. You can track it down if you go onto that internet time machine thing because, you know, obviously MySpace, ghost town of the internet is gone. So, but if you go onto it, they had spirit and opportunity randomly posting by fans as if they were a pair of very petty teenagers. (laughs) <laughs> in which spirit was the angry gothy older sister <laughs> oh wow you, that's really cool do you, do you know if would you know what gender curiosity is then <laughs> you know i haven't heard them referred to curiosity as being gendered i think they still tend when i do hear it i hear female is typically the usual one but i do think there has also been a long-standing tradition of male scientists and engineers giving female names and vice versa right back to like you know the olden days when people have a ship they always referred to the ship as a she mm. so yeah I, th- I, th- I think it is it's probably a sailing legacy isn't it somehow yeah and and that's just sort of transitioned into space travel as well so but it but in terms of that's where that came from so that wasn't really even a decision on my part that was just following the tr- the uh, naming convention but in terms of the voiceover actor that was a tough call because I am lucky that I have many really talented actors who are personal friends of mine that I could have called up on a dime in every conceivable sense of the word. Um, And I ended up not going that route because part of what we wanted this project to be was something that could not just have a higher than average production value, but something that would be exciting and fun for the kids. And so I wanted to reach out to a seasoned pro. There were a few people on the list who we spoke to, but the one who 
was our first choice, and to my great surprise, we actually got, is Tara Strong. And Tara Strong is a legend within the Hollywood community. She is Twilight Sparkle. She is Raven from Teen Titans. She is the original Batgirl. If you check her resume, you have... Not only will you recognize stuff, you will recognize multiple things that you have been a fan of in the course of your adult life that this woman has done the voice so in. And she walked into the studio. We were there for maybe an hour and 10 minutes, and she just knocked out the entire film there, and it was fantastic. Amazing. I I can't imagine that anybody could have made that character what she did. I think after hearing her voice, we need to get her to do some jingles for the Interplanetary podcast. What do you reckon, Matt? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can happily put you in contact with her agents. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I think we'd love it. Now, you mentioned um, the production, Stimson. What would, what about the windstorms and, and, and Mars Hill? Well, the windstorms came about through uh, high and low temperatures in the upper atmosphere that we did not do our homework and anticipate, which snuck up on us. So two very different questions. The uh, production crew for the actual, it was two crews. They're the people who went out to the desert to actually film it. And that was a four day shoot. And that's where our friend, the wind God got involved. And then there was all the behind the scenes people. And the behind the scenes people were two teams. One was a great team called Technically Savvy, who had just graduated a gaming school up in Seattle. And I was thrilled to get to work with them. And they built the rover, the entire digital model, the rigging to that, the version of the face. That was a couple of students straight out of school. And they did just an excellent, excellent job. And then for the actual animation itself, we turned it over to Gabe Conroy, who has is one of the main animators who does a lot of the ad- uh, commercials and publicity materials for SpaceX which is why this film is riddled with tiny references to SpaceX <laughs> in the background. Like the bit with the spaceships that are all at the distance. If you pause and look close, every single one is a SpaceX ship. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Gabe was a godsend because his work was just so clean and so easy to work with. And Gabe himself isn't simply someone who works in that community. He's a diehard supporter. Interestingly enough, he is not someone I actually had to reach out to when it came time a mutual friend heard about what we were doing and put us in contact together. How tricky is it to sort of combine that animated and live action together to make it work? I am told that it's very straightforward. To me, it looks like magic. There is a shot in it that to this day, I still have no clue how it could be easy. (laughs) But when spirit is charging up the hill and it's all shaky cam, um, Gabe assured me it would be an easy shot to animate, and he was right. The way a lot of film production works is about deferring to the experts. So when we went out and shot this, we had already talked to the animation teams and stuff like that, and we had a clear checkpoint list of how we're going to do each shot. And part of film, because it is such a large and collaborative process, is trusting your experts. I am not an animator. To me, the fact that in a moving, shaking shot, he's able to make the tracks appear in the sand and stick to the sand. The, I'm not sure how that's possible, but I trust the people who tell me exactly what I have to do to make that look right. So my job as the director before that was in the storyboards and locking down what this shot is going to look like, how we're going to film it, and then trusting the experts to shoot it as they indicated I need to. 
And then I give the footage to them and voila, comes back looking great. Yeah, I mean, well, as a director, you've got all these, you've got these people helping you with the technical aspects of it and knowing that this is all going to get delivered. But as a director, how do you... You don't know that last part. You don't know that <laughs> no, last go, part. That's the gamble part. That's, that last part is never a guarantee. Do not take uh, that part for granted. <laughs> no, indeed. But the uh, as a as a director, how how do you make sure that you are hitting the right spot for your intended audience? You've got you're you're in, you know you're you're aiming this 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 film at, at uh, children, but how how do you know that you've got the balance right between information and and fun and and it because it is quite emotional as well. I mean, it's there's a, there's a kind of it's almost a, a it's a really sad story at some point. Oh yeah, remind me to send you guys the original comic because my film changes the ending right from the original comic. <laughs> the original comic uh, it ends when she dies. Uh, there is no happy ending after that. <laughs> we added a whole extra two minutes of her getting this happy resurrection that puts it all in context, but. All of that is stuff I added. So, no, she, the original ending is she died. Mm-hmm. I think every, all of the parents are going to thank you for that. Yeah, be- oh, believe me, I had to do it for my own sake. <laughs> uh, going to your question, it's honestly a trust your gut thing. When it comes to working with kids and kids entertainment, the worst thing you can do is kind of is to overthink it and to start putting in all the baggage that we as adults want to put on the things. In the case of something like Spirit, I always went back to the comic. And even though the comic is only 10 panels, whereas my script is over 10 minutes, it was always reminding myself, why does this work for me in the first place? What is it that worked? And to stick to that. Everything else is flexible after that point. Everything else is the detail work. Here is why this hit me emotionally hard. And I'm going to stick to that specific track like a freaking pit bull. <laughs> And then every, and everything is allowed to flow out of that, thankfully. So by sticking to that original idea, always focusing on that, it means that when we get out to the actual shooting process in the desert and dealing with our windstorm, where we were having to change a lot of stuff on the fly because it complicated so many issues, that's always what we went back to. When myself and the DP would sit down at dinner each night, because this was about a five-day shoot, we would sit down at dinner back at the hotel to kind of go over the plan for the next day. Even as we're sitting there reworking the schedule and how we're going to shoot this, it's always going back to what's making that work emotionally. And there's a lot of little technical rules we give ourselves because it helps keep things consistent, but that's always the detail work. And that's why there are certain things that we ended up cutting out. There's a lot of little clips that aren't as funny as the home plate rock. They're just stuff we edited out, but they were superfluous. They weren't stuff that added to the charm or the education and they distracted from the emotionality. And so it got cut. Yeah. But so, and honestly, and that's where it becomes an art, unfortunately. It is a trust your gut feeling, and you also trust the people you work with and who you show it to and get feedback from. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a really fascinating area of being able to keep young minds entertained. Is, have you, what, what thoughts have you had? Presumably you're going through the same as us over here in the UK being all locked down, kids unable to see each other and, and keeping, you know, them entertained. 
what are your insights after doing this and and getting the the reviews from children and and hearing what they said about what you'd done and 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 how how do you think that that can actually help other people generate content and do stuff that actually helps out in times like this the first and biggest thing i would say is believe kids and believe that they are smart um, the notes I got from children on this were never thematic notes. They were never the, um, it's not fun, or I wish this were funnier. That's the sort of stuff you would get from an adult or something like that. Kids with the Steve Squire's daughter, the note he gave me, and I actually incorporated was, for folks who have just learned to read, we would love it if the text that appears on screen could last a little bit longer. That is oh, a wonderful that. technical and specific <laughs> I absolutely took that note. She was spot on. That's a good note. Um, give kids benefit of the doubt. It's When I always think back to the stuff that really stays with me from my own childhood, it's all the works of Don Bluth. So The Secret of Nims, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And Don Bluth had this filmmaking philosophy that said, you could traumatize children as long as you gave them a happy ending. And the animated kids films of Don Bluth are utterly traumatizing a lot of the time, but they stay with me in all the good ways a good story should because they accurately realize that kids can handle real emotion. Now, you don't go for shock value, obviously, with kids. That's just in bad taste, but you still give them the credit to deal with high-concept ideas. One of the things you guys were mentioning a moment ago is that it is a sad film at times. And yes, we still give it a happy ending, but I, we still tried to go out of our way to let the sad moments linger, to let the audience be in that place of kind of hopelessness, but persevering in spite of it, and going on the belief that it's something kids can handle. And so I think the biggest thing that I hope people are taking away from stuff with kids is just to give them credit. They can handle a lot more than we can a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. Emotionally, they... They certainly can, can't they? And I think it's it's very easy to sort of say, "Oh no, don't let them see that; it might upset them." But I, yeah. yeah, I think back to my own much more upsetting for us. Yeah. more often. Than yeah, I mean, not. I think back to my own childhood and think of the films of Spielberg, and they're 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 completely saturated, aren't they? In 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 trauma <laughs> that's in the background, okay, or, or the or the or the Disney Renaissance of the 1990s. Everyone talks about the singing and all the big music, but these are also the Disney films that had some of the most traumatizing deaths in Disney's film, the Mufasa to this day. We're all still shocked by Mufasa's past. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. Ursula, glorious death in Disney history. I mean, impaled on a freaking jagged, broken ship. <laughs> savage. <laughs> well, savage. Yeah. I mean, people always talk about the singing and the dancing in the 1990s Disney Renaissance, but I stand by a lot of those reasons that those films are looked on so lovingly by my generation is that they were films that didn't pull their punches. Yeah, absolutely. Stimson, uh, could you talk a bit about how the Aldrin Family Foundation is involved in this? The Aldrin Family Foundation created a wonderful educational group called ShareSpace Education. And what ShareSpace tries to do is they cultivate a love of STEM programs in kids in early age. And the main way they do this is they go to schools. And they create this massive Mars map and moon map. Those are their biggest things, but they do other stuff as well. And it's all about getting kids in grade school in the in that in the K through twelve programs 
excited and more importantly, inspired by the idea of space education. So much of what goes to kids of that age group is talking head documentaries, stuff that's really focused on the learning and less on motivating people to learn in the first place. And what made me so interested in a group like ShareSpace was their willingness to focus on that it's important to inspire kids first. And so when I had heard about them, the film was already into production at that point, but I had always wanted to gift it to various educational programs. And the moment I heard about these guys, they just went flying up to the top of my list. And so I reached out. They were excited pretty much out the gate. And they have been an invaluable resource ever since. Spirit is now officially going to be part of their uh, their materials. It's We have a special version of the film, which is the version I think you guys have seen that includes Steve Squires doing an introduction and yeah. he digs. And, and he digs a little bit more into the science side and stuff like that for the sake of the for the sake of keeping it a little bit more educational. And they're just a wonderful, wonderful group. Right now, they have a reach that includes more than three hundred thousand students, and their impact is growing more and more each year. We are very, very fortunate to be working with them, and I think they're a and they're a program that I hope more schools and more people reach out to because of all the good they're doing for stuff like that. And for Spirit to be a part of that is something I'm very, very pleased. I don't, I don't think we could have found a better home for this project and for making sure that it actually gets to the intended audience. Yeah, I mean, that, it is, yeah, that is, is truly awesome, isn't it? They're, they're doing a great job. Well, well, you've mentioned one person that we can't, we can't go without talking more about, is Stephen Squires, who's obviously a, 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 he's a legend. So... Um, I noticed that you play him in the <laughs> in the in the in the film. How how did that go down with him? Did he did he notice? If he noticed, he was tactful enough not to mention it. <laughs> um, that, if you're going to make films, if you're going to throw stupid amounts of cash at the notion of getting friends together with cameras to film stuff you care about, what is the point? if you can't shamelessly cast yourself as your personal heroes. <laughs> and that's just the only credit I give myself. I'm actually in the movie three times. <laughs> uh, I give myself that credit as Steve Squires. And no, we framed it. It is very much by design that you don't see my face in that shot. You see everybody else's face in that scene and the camera dips down just off of my face as I'm turning. That is very much by design. <laughs> Uh, the other time I'm in the film is as one of the two astronauts, because if we're going to rent spacesuits that had a functioning air system in them, by the way, uh, of course I'm going to wear one, <laughs> because I would be crazy not to. Oh. And then at the very end, when you see future Mars and there's the tour group off to the right, our animator, our Gabe, as an inside joke, he made it where the person who has his back to camera and is telling everybody else what to do was me because that's what directors do. So also an inside joke. Working with Squires was a joy. I'd read his book years ago. I'd seen him in several documentaries. And it was not until the film was already done that we reached out to him. And this was something that I actually had to put my foot down more than once with a couple of the other people who wanted to reach out sooner. And my logic was a description of this film could be considered insulting if presented wrong. I want the film itself to be its own argument. 
And so to me, it was worth waiting until we had the finished product in hand to advocate for itself. Steve and I uh, spoke back and forth for a couple months over email and eventually were able to set something up. I remember being very pleased when he emails me very apologetically going, look, just so you know, I just started this job with Morgan. I've just moved up to Seattle. Would it be possible to the shoot up there? And I literally get this email as I'm sitting in the living room at the house I had in Seattle where I was for a few months at the time. Oh, <laughs> I remember wow. sitting there going, well, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had literally already budgeted the cash to fly my crew to wherever he was. Because oh. <laughs> it was I didn't know where he was physically working at the time. And we're just being like, well, that well, that worked out really well, actually. Well, so. well, some things are meant to be, aren't they? Apparently. And so we had the shoot. It was one of the only, it was the only shoot that the animator himself was physically present for. And I actually sort of let Gabe dictate most of the shot composition we did that day so that he could make sure he could edit it in properly. And it was just a lovely conversation. We sat down, we went out of our way to not really script it because we didn't want to be putting words in his mouth. So his daughter was there. She was able to give me her note at the time. And we all just had a really pleasant hour and a half shoot, really. So he was so. he was he was very good friends, wasn't he, with Carl Sagan? So did did Carl Sagan's um, ability to to look at the camera and and tell a story rub off on on Steve? Uh, in, to an incredible degree, uh, I reached out to Squires not because I not because of his screen presence, but because I couldn't imagine a better, more authoritative person to talk about this project. I was incredibly pleasantly surprised to find, to discover just how telegenic he is. <laughs> he, it is clear he is a seasoned pro of thousands of interviews by this point. He knows how to go into his talking points with absolute practice and perfection to the point where as soon as I got the footage back from Gabe, I remember kind of sitting down and going, we just wanted to use this for the schools. Maybe we should make this the version we put in film festivals as well, because I just like it better. Now, admittedly, massive fanboy, so really, really biased on that. Like, So I actually sent a cut of this to several people who worked on it and weren't there just to go, hey, guys, which version's better? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm biased here. Yeah. I, I, I can't be trusted at this point. I want the version with one of my personal heroes in it. <laughs> That's the version I. Well, like. yeah, I, I love it as well. He, you're absolutely right. That that intro is just unbelievable. It's like he's yeah done it all his life, isn't it? <laughs> I guess he has. Oh, and, he, <laughs> and the thing is, we had his permission to chop up and rewrite stuff as much as we need to re-edit stuff to make it uh, clear as much as possible, so long as we didn't change the intent behind his words, and we didn't. Like, we literally could have. We could have chopped it up, rearranged this as much as we wanted. And the way he said it, other than one or two small edits, which I think we hid fairly neatly, there was just nothing really to change. <laughs> so, yeah. What a pro. Perfect. Can't ask more than that. And just, a, and just also a very nice man. Someone who immediately got... He was never someone that I really needed to explain what our goal was, our desire to make this something to get kids inspired. He kind of looked at it, saw it, and was like, yep, nope, I get it. He certainly adds so much to it because it adds that whole full circle, doesn't it? He's, you know, he's he's so synonymous with with spirit as well. 
and to have that oh, to have yeah. that seal of approval stamped across the, the film and it and it looks so great and yeah you, you know as I watched it twice Jamie's watched it twice and we we didn't even watch it together I wish we had I needed I needed someone to hold my hand at some point I'll hold your virtual hand Matthew it's a really cute film and it and it does it takes you all of uh, lots of lots of different emotions and and you learn a lot about Mars as well at the same time it's it's a fa- it's it's fab it, and you guys were mentioning kind of our fact checking early on because Squires is among the last people to get involved. It was just, I remember after <laughs> him watching it, I just remember sending him the link for him to see it the first time, sort of just praying and just like waiting for the list of stuff I got wrong. And just like, nope, all looks good. Well, yeah, that, that, that must've been a glorious email to get. <laughs> oh, it was just, yeah, it just, it made things, uh, Great. One thing that I would love to bring up with this is just how stuff like this is so useful for shelter in place. It's a great thing for kids to be watching. I don't know if the film is live yet on Share Space's site. I know they're in the process of doing that, but I do hope we get it up in time for when this goes on. While up in time for kids who are in the lockdown and shelter in place to see and enjoy it. And right now, I just want to, I cannot more enthusiastically direct enough traffic to share space. Because even if the film's not up yet, there is so much great stuff, learning materials to be had there right now. It's a great, it's a great thing for kids to be looking into and for parents to give themselves a breather. And I'm not just saying that because Spirit will be going up there eventually. I don't even <laughs> think Spirit is live there yeah. yet. <laughs> well, listen, you've got our backing. So where can people go to, to get more info? Is there a website? At, at this time, no. The main place to go is ShareSpace. And in a week uh-huh. or so, they're going to see, you'll see a lot about Spirit going up there as that is going to be the main home for it. So I would say go to ShareSpace. Really enjoy all the great resources to be had there. The URL is HTTPS, the double dot slash slash aldrinfoundation.org. That's the main spot to go. And you're going to find a lot of great information and stuff there. And eventually, you're also going to find Spirit. <laughs> Well, we'll make sure that we put that link up for you because I know that all of our listeners will be mad not to check it out and, of course, get their kids involved. Uh, so thank you so much and congratulations. It's it's a wonderful thing. No, thank you guys for having us. We're, it was an absolute pleasure to get to talk about this little film. Yeah, it was, well, it was, a, it was a, our pleasure to watch it. Really, really great. I'm glad that we, we had a sneak preview. That's <laughs> really good. So please enjoy. And also it's in festivals and stuff like that. So if there's any older kids out there, just keep your eye on science fiction film festivals. We're 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 going around right now. And as soon as we're traveling, as soon as people can travel again, I'll be at those festivals as well. So have you got a space related song that can go on our space playlist? that you uh, particularly affiliate with. And I've kind of banned people from having David Bowie. That's the, that's the only one that's, that's oh. not allowed. Well, that's not the best space-related song. You ha- for the best space-related song, you have to go to the best space sci-fi show of all time. Now, I'm fortunate that I'm talking to a couple of Englishmen about this, so you know what I'm talking about. But if you bring up any song other than the song in the end credits of Red Dwarf, you're doing something Whoa. wrong. <laughs> Of course. Oh, excellent choice. I thought you were going to go with 2001 then, but <laughs> it's cold outside. There's no kind of atmosphere. Oh it's my gosh. Long, more or less. Do you know what, Jamie? I don't think that's, I don't think that's on the playlist. It's going on. I was just about to say, how can that be missed? Oh, that's brilliant. And actually, can't you play that on the guitar, Matt? 
we'll close the show with it. And it's a good time for it. Didn't, didn't they just put, right now they just put out a feature length yeah. movie, which they've only made available on Dave, which for the record is frustrating <laughs> as hell to the US fans of Red Dwarf. I am trying desperately to find a way to see this oh, thing and I can't. Oh, how annoying. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any man with a uh, action figure of a Ninja Turtle on their desk is all right by me. Yeah, two Ninja Turtles actually. Uh, that's my uh-huh. slash original from the making of it, and this is from a company called Mondo that a friend of mine actually is one of the runs. Basically, their uh, toy side of a Raphael. Ah, uh, Raphael, the I love best it. one, taking me back to my youth. <laughs> oh yeah, he always was the best one. Although I prefer original animated series Raphael, who was cool but rude, as opposed to the really angry version of Raphael that we've been getting in a lot of the new interpretations. I'm old school with the teenage mutants. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. If you're lucky, I'll um, I'll do my impression of uh, Krang, but not now because <laughs> my my, you know, I, I can't. I've got to leave that cliffhanger. Maybe maybe next week. <laughs> I got to say, speaking as a filmmaker, we have a thing called Chekhov's gun, where if you show oh. the gun, you have to reveal it before the end of the episode. I mean, you guys got an audience out there, and now you just set up the Krang impression without hearing it. I mean, that is violating <laughs> the rule of Chekhov's gun. I mean, filmmaking 101, guys. <laughs> go on then, Jamie. Do your impression. Okay, here we go. This is Krang. Shredder, you have to see the spirit boom. <laughs> How was that? I like it. I, I got the little voice. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simpson, this has been really fun. Have a good day over there. Absolutely. Send me those links and your password for Dave. <laughs> the Interplanetary Podcast is alive. That was good fun, wasn't it, Jamie? That interview. Such good fun. A really, really lovely guy. And yeah, very talented. Please go and check it out. Check out the film. Check out his past work. And uh, and we thought it was very cool, cool guy, didn't yeah. we? I think think we've made a new friend. Absolutely, and shout out to Colleen as well, who was absolutely lovely and and yes, thank that. you, Colleen. Lovely people, and uh, yeah, he also Matt. Mm-hmm. He shocked us, didn't he? Because it turns out that he really loves Red Dwarf. Yes, and so the the UK yeah uh, space themed comedy show. And so that has gone straight on the playlist. And Matt, you said that you were going to maybe try and learn the theme tune on guitar. Oh, God damn, yes. Are you going to do uh, that maybe uh, for next I, week? Well, I could maybe, yeah. I may cut that bit out, may may not. I might, I might, uh, I might, um, I might try and learn it. That's your, that's your mission. <laughs> Let's see how many souls it takes. Yeah, okay. Let's, I think is I'm in the middle of doing another covers mission, which is learning Queen songs album by album. That is very true, which is which is way more important. Yeah, it is, it's far more important. So there we go. Uh, Matt, if if people want to know more about this podcast, is there a website they can go to? There is. It's www.interplanetary.org.uk, where I shall be putting lots of photos, that special exclusive video, etc., etc. So I, it's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. Look after yourselves. Stay at home. Stay safe. And look at shooting stars and possibly the space station that might have been Starlink. If you tell me the time, okay. Jamie, I'll tell you I'll tell you which um I'll tell you what satellite it was. Oh my god. Okay, so it would have been about would have been about twenty past ten last night, PM. Okay, twenty past ten last night. Let's let's let me whiz back. 
it was the upper stage of a long march to be, I believe. Matt, remember when we definitely saw the ISS oh, yeah. after we came out of watching Deep Purple? Oh yeah, that was, that was an awesome one. Glory. What a glory day. Uh, anyway, we, we, we probably should say bye to this podcast. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, Spockers! <laughs>